Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, so we will be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Open up your Bibles there, or click there, whatever you're doing. We are going to get into the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you, would, that you would just bless our time together, bless um, the flock here, uh, bless the Ramula family, give them comfort, Father, give them strength, give them direction and guidance, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, for the gift of teaching. I pray to decrease while you increase. I pray that you'll be glorified all throughout this campus and in each and every one of our lives. And if there's someone here, Lord, who has not yet made the decision to receive Jesus as personal Savior and Lord, I I pray that you would draw them to your son, Jesus. And I do thank you that they're here. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Be glorified, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42, uh, is where we're going to study uh, this morning. And the title of the message is God in HD, God in HD, or in other words, in high definition. Now, prior to verse 27 in John chapter 4, we learn that Jesus left Judea and he headed for Galilee. And so Judea is an area in the south of of Israel, and now he's moving towards the north. And the Bible says that he needed to go through Samaria, uh, which is is funny because there's different routes to take in order to get from Judea to Galilee. And so when directionally or on the map, Whatever the case is, he didn't necessarily need to go through there. In fact, the pious Jews, the religious Jews, would try to bypass going through the area of Samaria. And so some would cross over the Jordan River, and then they'll go up north and then cross back over and end up in Galilee or wherever they wanted to go. But they just wanted to avoid going through Samaria. And so when Jesus made it to Samaria, he stopped at a city called Sychar, which is Shechem in the Old Testament. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was tired from his journey when he arrived there. And so he sat by Jacob's well at about noon. And now while he was there, the Bible says that he started a conversation with a Samaritan woman who had come to draw water by asking her for a drink of her water. And this woman pointed out how odd his request was. She pointed out the the oddity of it. And that was because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And they didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. They disliked them because they were a mixed race. They were part Israelite and part Gentile. And and the reason for that is uh, the aftermath of the Assyrians who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel And that was in about 722 BC. And then they they took them captive. And so there was some 
um, intermarrying and intermingling and so forth. And so the Jews didn't like the fact that they were a mixed race people, but they also didn't like them because uh, they, they had different worship centers. The Samaritans um, had a center of worship in, on Mount Gerizim and the Jews, of course, for their center of worship, it was in Jerusalem at the temple located there. And so, yes, the Jews, they disliked them. And the Samaritan woman knew that. And so she was surprised that Jesus would ask her for a drink of water. She was surprised that Jesus would even speak with her. But Jesus would use that conversation as a springboard to offer her the spiritual life-giving water as opposed to the physical water that she had come to draw And so what's going on here is that Jesus is offering her and even us that that spiritual satisfaction that will last for eternity. And that's because he offers spiritual life through the Holy Spirit that lasts for eternity. The water that Jesus gives, those spiritual blessings, that spiritual life through the Holy Spirit, it's not temporary. You see, with this water that we drink here um, on this side of eternity, we we drink it up and drink four bottles, whatever it is, but we're going to get thirsty again, even sometimes, even that next hour, but not with the water that Jesus gives. So the question I have for you and for all of us really is, are we seeking to be satisfied with that temporary water? What is there in life that we're trying to find satisfaction in? What is that thing? I would encourage you to go to Jesus and get that living water from him. But then in the text, in this narrative, it tells us that this Samaritan woman proceeded to ask for the water that Jesus offered. Okay, so you're offering this living water. I want that. And then Jesus would proceed to bring out some details about her life. He began to tell her about those five husbands that she had. And then the one husband, not husband, but one person she was with who was not her husband. And it's interesting that Jesus, if she were to receive Jesus, he would become the seventh man in her life, which seven, of course, we know biblically would be the number of completion. And so the man she was with now, she was not married to, and Jesus pointed it out. And then based on what Jesus told her about herself, she perceived that Jesus must be a prophet. And so she changed the subject. I want this subject to get off of me. And let's talk about our different worship centers. You see, we believe that this mountain, Mount Gerizim, is the place God should be worshiped. But you Jews, you say Jerusalem is the place. And so she switch subjects on him. And then in John 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus shares these famous words with her. And many of you are familiar with these words. But Jesus says that the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. And it says that God is spirit, speaking of the nature of God, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. See, when God created man, we were like a miniature trinity. 
with the body, soul, and spirit. But when man sinned, that spirit died. But in order for our spirit to be made alive, we have to go through a process that's called being born again. It's something that Jesus told to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. We must be born again spiritually, which means we must be born from above. In other words, we must be born of the spirit. And so just as we are in our current families, in our earthly families, because we're born into our families. If you want to be a part of the family of God, if you want to become a child of God, you must be born into God's family. And that's through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But whoever worships him must worship in spirit and in truth. So your spirit must be born again. You must come alive. And so we worship God on the spiritual plane. We, we, we worship him in an intimate spiritual way as opposed to what, Darrell? As opposed to just worshiping him outwardly and just going through routine and just going through uh, just the motions, punching the clock. Worship him in spirit, but also in truth, which is what? According to the word of God, according to the way he wants us to worship him. But it also could mean worshiping him in sincerity. So not hypocritically. Now, after the Samaritan woman acknowledged that Jesus would come and tell them all things, Jesus revealed to her that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And Messiah and Christ means the same thing. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek. And both of them mean the anointed one. And so he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm he. I, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. And it picks up at verse 27 where our study uh, technically starts this morning. And in verse 27 of John chapter 4, if you still have your Bibles open or your devices open and, and click there, whatever you did, it says, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled. They were surprised or amazed that Jesus talked with the woman. And yet no one said, what do you seek? What do you hear for a woman? And nobody said that and nobody asked asked Jesus, why are you talking with her? You see, at that time, rabbis or Jewish teachers, according to tradition, would not speak to a woman in public. You see, but Jesus wasn't concerned about the tradition of men. He, he was concerned about this woman's salvation. And God is still concerned about our salvation today. The Bible says that our God is long-suffering because people are mocking God. And they're saying, well, you've been saying that he's going to come back for all these years. And things are continuing to go as they always have. So, Christian, what basis do you have for the fact that you keep saying that Jesus is coming back? But the scriptures tell us that our God is long-suffering. And why is he long-suffering? He's long-suffering because he wants all people to come to, guess what, repentance. He wants people to be saved. That is called the perfect will of God. So in his perfect will, which is his preferred will, and we still have a choice, but God wants us to repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we can spend eternity 
eternity with him instead of spending eternity apart from him in a place called hell. But wait a minute, Pastor Durrell, my other church I went to didn't talk about hell. Well, here we're going to talk about hell because you need to know why we celebrate. You need to know why we praise Jesus. You need to know why we're so happy because we are saved. And that's because he saved us from the penalty of sin, which is hell. We need to know. Jesus talked about it, so we're going to talk about it. Well, in verse 28, it says, the woman then left her water pot. She left her water jar. And she went her way into the city, and she said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and they came to him. And so when that woman left her water pot, that just reminded me of the fact that that whatever we're using to gather temporary water, whatever we're using to gather that temporary thirst quencher in our lives need to be left behind. And Maybe some of you have gotten some type of self-help book. Maybe some of you have gone on YouTube. You got involved in some weird YouTube theology or some weird Twitter theology. Well, you need to, you need to drop that water pot. That's not going to work for you because even if it makes you feel good in the moment, guess what? You're going to get thirsty again. Or, or maybe the water pot you're using is sex and maybe the water pot you're using is video games or entertainment, but to, to make you feel good. But I'm going to tell you that, that you're going to get thirsty again, but we should be more focused on the, the, the water that Jesus gives, that living water, the one that lasts for eternity. And so I do have to ask the question. I'm, I'm not up here on stage trying to be a meanie, but I have to ask, what, what are you using to find what you hope will satisfy or quench your thirst on this side of eternity? And, and whatever that may be, if you're using something else other than the word of God, if you're using something else other than God, I'm, I'm just going to tell you flat out that you need to leave that water pot behind because whatever you're gathering in that water pot is not going to help you. It's not going to do anything for you uh, based on an eternal basis. It's, it's not going to do anything for you in eternity. So drop it and seek the source. And so maybe you're trying to use whatever water pot you're using. Maybe you're trying to use it to find peace. Well, I'm going to tell you to drop that water pot and go to the source of peace, which is the God we serve. And, and maybe you're trying to use the water pot that you're using on this side of heaven because you want to find some type of joy, some type of artificial joy. Well, I'm going to tell you you to drop that water pot and then come to Jesus. Go to the source of joy, the God who gives us true joy. And the scriptures tell us in verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, rabbi or teacher, eat. You see, Jesus, once again, has proved that he was fully God, fully man. He went through the full human experience, except he did not have a sin nature had a human nature, but no sin nature. And we can see that he was fully human because he got tired. He needed to eat and drink like the rest of us. But he said to them, he said to his disciples, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? In other words, could someone have brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I wonder if we can say that today. I wonder if we can say that we get satisfied from doing the will of God. Or is it that our appetite is geared toward things that are going to please our flesh? Is our appetite geared towards things that's going to help us in a temporary way? Now, of course, we need food. Of course, we need water. Of course, we need those things. But what else besides those necessities is your appetite geared toward? See, we should get satisfied from doing the will of God if we're going to be more like Jesus. And, and God has predetermined. He pre- to, he, in other words, he planned beforehand. The scriptures tell us in Romans 8 that those he foreknew, so he foreknew all the believers, right? Who would come to him? Who's going to accept Jesus? But it says those he foreknew. It says that he predestined them to be conformed to who? The image of Christ. So if you want to know what God's will for your life is, it's for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. And if, and if we can say that we get satisfied from doing the will of the Father, that is certainly Christ-like. In fact, I want to share something with you in Psalm 40, verse 8. Because it's in this verse that it says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Verses 35 to 38, it says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Now, this is Jesus speaking. He says, behold, I say to you, disciples, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows, he who plants, and he who reaps, that is those who cut the grain to gather it, that they may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you, in verse 38, to, to reap that for which you have not labored, for which you have not worked for, he says, others have labored and, and you have entered into or benefited from their labors or you reap the results of other people's work. And so at this time, it's possible that Jesus is directing the disciples' attention to those Samaritans who were coming out to meet him. Because remember, the, the, the Samaritan woman went out to the city and she began to share with them that, hey, I think I met the Messiah. Come and see. So, so it's possible that Jesus is referring to them as he sees them coming and as he sees them on their way. And just like then where, where then it says now was time for harvest, just like then right now is the time for harvest. Right now there's people who are willing to hear about Jesus. You don't hear that on the news. You don't hear that on social media, on the internet. You, you hear a bunch of bad news all the time, but there are some people who are ripe and ready and who would receive the gospel about Jesus Christ, who would receive the Jesus of the word, of the word of God. They would receive him if given an opportunity. So now is the time for harvest. And so we should be praying that God would open our eyes to, to see those who are ready 
to see that, that, that the world, that people in our country, people in our communities, people in our state, in our city, people in our schools, people on our jobs, that many of them are ripe and, and they're ready to hear the gospel. But we have to ask God to help us. Help us to see them. Lord, help us to be in position to share the gospel with us. And as I share with the first service, I would encourage you to make that a part of your prayers. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit today. Help me to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit today. If there's anyone, Lord, you want me to minister to, if there's anyone, Lord, that you want me to witness to, I pray that you would allow us to cross paths. I pray that you give me the words to share with them. In fact, Lord, I pray that you bring me people who are not hard-hearted, but people who have soft hearts and they're receptive to your word. And if given an opportunity, they will receive this Jesus that I adore, this Jesus that I love, this Jesus that I preach about. So Lord, I pray that you bring me in front of those people. But I wonder this morning, are we praying that? I wonder this morning, are we making ourselves available? Are we just spending time complaining about our country, uh, complaining about our situation, complaining about the people who are not saved, who are acting belligerent and rude? Are we just complaining about them? Or are we saying, Lord, bring me before them. Lord, just open up a door and give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, all I know is John 3.16, but help me to share that John 3.16 passionately and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Bring me, Lord, before those people who are ripe. I wonder if we prayed that prayer lately. I pray that we will have that type of attitude. That we would want to see that the harvest time is now. And another truth that's shared here is that both those who sow and those who reap are on the same team. And they're going to get their own rewards for their, their level of faithfulness. So maybe you are the sower. Maybe you're the one who's going to plant the seed of the word. Or maybe you're the one who's going to be with that person and pray with them to receive Jesus Christ into their lives. Maybe you'll be the one. But are you faithful? Can we be faithful? Lord, help us to be faithful to do our part. If we sow the seed, if we water, if we're with them to reap, to pray with them to receive Jesus, help us to be faithful. Lord, I know you have a reward for us. Pastor Darrell, you're just making this up. No, I'm not. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, 8 or jot it down. It says, now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to what his own labor in verses 39 and 40, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city, they believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who what? Who testified. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. He stayed there two days. They wanted him to stay. Now, of course, this... This contrasts with those people who begged Jesus to leave. Remember those people um, who were looking after the pigs in that one city? Jesus cast out demons out of these two men. And those demons asked to go into the swine, into the pigs. And Jesus gave them permission. And when those demons went into those pigs, they ran off the cliff and died. And so uh, they ran and told the other folks in the city. Those people came and they told Jesus to leave. They begged him to leave. But we, we see the opposite here with these people from Samaria 
because they wanted him to stay and he stayed. He's invited. And unfortunately today, just bringing it to real life or that is real life, but to bringing it to current times. Unfortunately, there are some individuals. Unfortunately, there are public schools. There are colleges and universities. There are places of employment that says, no, we don't want your Jesus. In fact, they would probably even beg you if they could to stop talking about your Jesus. Don't put that Jesus sticker on your desk. Don't put that Jesus sticker on your car. I'm tired, some of them will say, of seeing um, Jesus loves you on your, on your car when I walk through the parking lot at my place of employment. I'm tired of seeing that Bible or that devotional book on your desk when I walk by. So there's some people around you who would say, we don't want your Jesus, but praise God that these Samaritans wanted him and he stayed. But is there anybody in here who's been trying to get rid of Jesus? Is there anybody in here who's been hearing the gospel and they've just been rejecting Jesus? I would encourage you to open up your heart to him because if you receive him, that is the best decision you will ever make in your life. Guaranteed. And in verses 41 and 42, it says, And many more, that is many more Samaritans believe because of Jesus' own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. I heard what you said, Samaritan woman, but now we have an opportunity to hear him for ourselves. Oh, now we know that he is Savior of the world the world. Quick question. Quick question. How many of you, because I know you're curious about the title, God in HD, and so I do want to ask this question. How many of you have traded in your bulky TVs for flat screen TVs? I don't know if you remember those big bulky, some of the kids, don't, they probably don't even remember, but I remember growing up, we had this huge TV, the, the outer part of it was wood, and you know, it worked for a time. I actually had to get up and switch the channel. You know, I, I you know, didn't have the remote. And then the thing started getting lines at the top of it, so it didn't show a good picture anymore. So instead of getting rid of the TV, then we bought another TV and put that one on top of it. And, and so we made use of it. We were resourceful. So many of you now have those flat screen TVs. And by the way, I, I, I do have to say this. I, I, I'm so glad that we have the flat screen TVs now because when it's moving time, <laughs> my goodness, those, those big bulky TVs that break your back. But, but, but there's something, something else about these new flat TVs or these newer ones is that they show us a higher definition or better quality pictures. In other words, they show us pictures in HD. And many of us are in love with that clearer picture. Now, now keeping that thought in mind about the clearer picture or, or, or seeing shows and, and movies and things in HD on your TV, keeping that thought, how many of you have, have heard some things about something or maybe some people that affected your, your opinion in a certain way until you met that person or until you tried that burger. Some people, you know, you talk about a burger. Oh, that's the best burger in, time, in town. And you heard about that. And so you go there, you try it, and you're like, no, this is not it. 
tell somebody, oh, Magic Mountain is so fun. You, you got to go to that place. Those roller coasters are so fun. And somebody goes there, get on the roller coasters. They, they, they just scream so loud. They're so fearful. The, the pictures that they snap of them, you, you see them about the faint and everything. And next thing you know, Darrell, you told me that Magic Mountain was fun. And when I went there, that wasn't it. Don't do that anymore, Darrell. And so many of us have heard some things about some things, some places, maybe someone, and then our views of them changed when we had a personal encounter. In other words, when we saw that place, when we tried that burger, that thing, or when we met that person in HD, so to speak, in high definition, we had a personal encounter, our, our viewpoint changed. And this is what you see with the Samaritans in verse 42, because they said, we, we heard what you said about this man. We heard what you said about Jesus, but, but now we get to see him for ourselves. We get to hear him for ourselves. We get to experience Jesus, the Samaritans would say, in HD or in high definitions. And so we have a personal encounter. And there is some type of Old Testament example of this, and I just love this scripture, and we'll get to it. But in the Old Testament, there's a man named Job, and of course, you know what happened to him. He you know, loses his family, a bunch of possessions, health is affected, everything. But, but three friends come to him, and they have their turns trying to explain to Job what's going on with his life. You must have done something wrong. You need to repent and all this stuff. And, but Job maintained his innocence. And then there's this fourth guy who jumps in. He, he's trying to be a wise guy. He thinks he's smarter than everybody else. His, his name is Elihu, and, and he had his say. But then God, after everybody else said their thing, after Job tried to defend himself and so forth, God shared his words and he gave his challenge to Job. And and Job answered the following with humility, with a humble heart. He said this in Job 42.5. Remember, we're talking about knowing God in HD. He says this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. So in other words, he said, I've heard about you, God. But now I really know or I understand you because now I see you for myself. I can stop guessing who you are. I can stop guessing about your characteristics because I see you. I experience you for myself. I I see you in HD. And so he would agree with these men from Samaria, these Samaritan men that I've heard about Jesus from this woman, from the Samaritan woman at the well. But now I experience you. And I see you in a clearer way. And how many of you are glad that you made that transition from just hearing about Jesus to knowing him in a personal way? Oh, you don't have to answer. I know you're glad about it. But people have tried multiple ways to, to, to attempt to know God. And I just want to share four ways we can know God in a more intimate way. And one way is something simple, and, 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 and pretty much you all here can say the first point, and, and that is through God's written word, through his written word. In other words, what he reveals about himself. That, that's one way we can know God in a more intimate way, and 
Spending that quality time with him, that quiet time with the Lord as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time reading and studying and meditating upon the word of God. When I talk about meditating upon the word of God, I'm not talking about an Eastern religion. I'm, I'm talking about chewing on the word of God like a cow chews its cud. It chooses, it swallows it, it brings it back up, gets more nutrients and so forth, repeats the process. And so uh, meditating on the word of God is like that. And so we can draw closer to God. We can know him in a more intimate way. We can know him in a better way. We can know him, in other words, for the sake of the title, in HD, in high definition through the written word. But also, and here's the second point, that is through Jesus. Because Jesus, the, the one who's fully God and fully man, he revealed to us the invisible God. So if you want to know how the invisible God is, who you can't see with your plain eyes, You want to know how he is, then you look at Jesus because Philip asked Jesus, hey, show us the Father. And so Jesus responded with what? It tells us in John 14, verse 9. Jesus said to Philip, have have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. Not three separate gods, just one God. And so if you've seen Jesus, if you read the Bible, you see how Jesus interacted with people. You see the heart of the Father. And in turn, those of us who are ambassadors of Christ, we're ambassadors of Christ here. We're his representatives. People should be able to see Jesus in us by the way we live, by the way we speak even though they've never cracked open the Bible. But another way we can know God better or in high definition is through the Holy Spirit. You see, Romans 8.15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so, Darrell, are we born again into the family of God or are we adopted? Both. Because... And there's a difference, and we're going to go over that real quick. Because to become a child of God, you have to be, be, you have to be born again. You put your faith in Christ. You repent, put your faith in Christ. So you're born again spiritually. So being born again talks about um, believers being a part of the family of God, but so does adoption. But the difference lies here. Because the adoption of sons has more of an emphasis on your position in the family. And so in other words, when, when we are born again and we become children of God, we're also adopted into the family of God by the Holy Spirit, which means that we enter into the family of God as mature adults, which means, spiritually speaking, that we are qualified to be heirs and join heirs with Christ. So it speaks more of position. And so he's called the spirit of adoption. And then by this same Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is Aramaic for father. And, and that's an intimate name used only by members of the family. And so it's like saying Papa or Daddy. And so the fourth way we get to know God in HD or know him in a more um, personal way is through our life's experiences. And so our life experiences, 
It goes past hearing about God. It goes past hearing about God's qualities. It goes past hearing about God's attributes uh, to knowing him personally or, or by experience. And for example, you may have heard that he is Yahweh Rapha or Jehovah Rapha. And it simply means that he is the Lord who heals. And so you may know that he is the Lord who heals. You may know that he is Yahweh Rapha, but, but it wasn't until you were sick and you needed some healing and that you received his healing touch. It wasn't until then that you experienced him in a more personal way as Yahweh Rapha. And so now you don't just know him intellectually as Yahweh Rapha or the Lord who heals, but now you know him by experience as the Lord who heals. And you may have heard that he is Yahweh or Jehovah Jireh, that is the Lord who provides. You may have heard of that. You may have read that, but it wasn't until you were in a situation when you didn't seem to have the necessities that you needed in life. It wasn't until then and God came through in a miraculous way and provided for you. It wasn't until then that you truly experienced him and knew him in HD, of course, as Yahweh Jireh. And and you may have heard of him as Yahweh Shalom. You may have heard of him as the Lord is peace by the hearing of your physical ears, but, but you may not know him like that experientially until you get to that point when you are lacking the peace that you should have, that peace that is only in him. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah, uh, I believe it's chapter 26, that uh, those who keep their minds stayed on him, those are the ones who will experience his perfect peace. That is because we trust in him. And so it's not until then that you uh, know him as the Lord is peace, the one who is the source of peace until you are in that situation. And maybe there's some of you who have heard, oh, the Lord will comfort you. You may have said that to someone. You may have heard it many of times. You may have seen many scriptures that talks about the Lord being the God of comfort. But it maybe wasn't until that time that you needed some comfort. Maybe a loved one passed away. Maybe someone... um, that you were really, really close to had just passed away. You don't know how to deal with it. And, and now you go from going from the intellect of knowing that he is the Lord who comforts to now experiencing the comfort of God. And so you know him in the experiential way now that, that, that hey, now it's just not about me holding information or just hearing with my physical ears that this God of the Bible is the one who comforts. But I experienced that for myself. Oh, I know him in HD now as that same God who's able to comfort us in our time that we need comfort. We see him clearly, in other words, as that God who comforts. And and you've heard so many times that, oh, God is in control. Oh, God is sovereign. You've heard that so many times, but it wasn't until the time that that, that maybe where you were in a situation where, where, where things were so much out of your control. Maybe it's a financial situation, or maybe it's a health scare, or maybe it's a job situation. They're telling you that they're going to let you go if you don't do this or do that. And so things are just completely out of your hands. And so you heard of this God who is the sovereign God, but it's not until you see God bring things into place and, and show that he's truly in control. It wasn't until then that you 
knew him experientially or in HD as the God who is sovereign. Oh, but what about some of us who need some restoration in these various areas in our lives? Oh God, we hear, we hear you're a God of restoration. We, I've heard it from my neighbor. I've heard it from our parents that God can restore. And I know that up here. But by experience, I don't, I never seen him restore anything in my life. And so God allows you to go through a situation when things are, they they just seem to be falling apart. But then you see God through much prayer and in his timing and in his power and in his will, you see God begin to restore things and he does restore things in your life. And so it goes from the intellect to now, you know him by experience as that God who restores you. You know him by experience now as the God who is our shield. He is our defense. You know him experientially that way because you've been in a position where, where God needed to defend you. So it goes from the intellect to experience. And we sang the song this morning about God being a way maker. Oh, I like the tune of that song. You may say, oh, I just love lifting my hands. Or we get so fired up when we hear that God is the way maker. And I just love it so much. And yeah, he makes a way out of no way. And we can say that saying over and over. We can hear mom and dad say that over and over. We can hear the super Christian telling us that over and over that God is a way maker. But it's not until you get into a situation when all doors seem to be closed and there doesn't seem to be a way that, that, that God comes through in a big way and you say, oh, this is more than just lyrics to a song. This is more than just some cute things that Christians say. Now, I know him experientially now that he truly is a way maker because now I see him in HD. I see him in high definition that he is this way maker that these saints talk about all the time. And so we're talking about knowing God in HD in a more intimate, a more personal way. But I believe there's some people in here who need some strength. Oh, you're in that time of weakness right now. You, you, you're vulnerable. You have that time of vulnerability right now. And I don't know what it is, but God knows what it is. And you feel so helpless. But I come to tell you that that's a good position to be in. Because if you recall, in the life of the Apostle Paul, he said that, that he has this thorn in his flesh. And he prayed to the Lord three times, Lord, take this thorn away. It's bothering me. Remove this thorn from my flesh. But the Lord didn't take it away. In fact, the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you. In fact, the Lord said that my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so if you are in a weak position, that is a great position to be in, to to see the Lord's strength work in you and through you in a more perfect, complete, or full way. And so you may have heard that, you may have read that, how God is our strength and, and, and oh, his strength is made perfect perfect in weakness. But now if you're in that position of weakness, there is an opportunity for you to experience that God that we talk about, this God who is our strength. So Dorel, what are you saying? What I'm saying is start seeing your situations differently. 
start seeing your situations, your problems that you're in. Start, start seeing those experiences as an opportunity for God to show up and show out. Start seeing those situations, those tough situations that you're in. Start seeing them as an opportunity for God to reveal more of himself to you. So instead of getting on your knees and and just pointing your finger at God and just blaming God and you got your fist clenched at him and saying, why, why are you allowing me to go through this? How about ask this question, Lord, what are you going to reveal about yourself to me in this situation? You see, the more we know him as the worship team comes up, the more we know him, the closer we draw to him, the more we see him in HD, the clearer vision we have of God, of who he is and what he can do. I guarantee you this, your thoughts, your words, your actions are going to be different. I believe that we'll love more. I believe that we'll forgive more. I believe we'll be more merciful I believe we'll be more gracious. I believe we'll be more obedient. I believe we'll be more of those peacemakers. I believe we'll worry less. I believe we'll fear less. I believe we'll grow in faithfulness. I believe we'll begin to praise him more. The more we get to know him. And I'll just say this for those of you who haven't put your faith in Christ. You haven't made that commitment to him. But you've heard about him. You heard grandma tell you about Jesus. You heard grandfather tell you about this Jesus who died for you, died in your place, took the penalty we deserve. This Jesus who rose again, you heard about that Jesus You heard about him as savior of the world. You heard all these things about Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you're an unbeliever at this time, you haven't made that commitment, I would encourage you to make time to repent, turn from sin, change your mind about sin, turn to God. Put your faith in Christ to where you're not just knowing intellectually that, oh, this Jesus is Savior of the world. In other words, he makes people savable. He's not just that intellectually, but I would encourage you to make him your personal Savior. You have an opportunity to know him more in HD, in high definition. No matter where we are in our walk this morning or this afternoon, we can grow in the areas of getting closer to God. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray for your people, Lord, whatever they're going through, that you would intervene that you will move in the way you want to move. I pray that you would encourage the discouraged. I pray for the brokenhearted, that you amend those broken hearts. I pray for those who are struggling with sin, that you would give them victory over that, Lord. Give them victory over their flesh. I pray for those who are struggling with pride, that you help them to overcome pride.
I pray for those who want a better prayer life, Lord, that you stir their hearts to improve in that area, Father. I pray for those who are looking for restoration in their marriage or certain relationships. I, I pray that you would get involved with that, Father God. May your will be done. And I pray, Father, that you would use my brothers and sisters in a mighty way this week. And as they leave this place, but not your presence, be glorified in and through them, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.